I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to this extra take of the Curzon Film Podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, So this is going to be uh, more of a discussion on uh, Denzel Washington's film Fences, uh, which is out this week in addition to 20th Century Women. It's that time of year around the Oscars when there are so many films coming out uh, that it's hard for us to pick just one. Uh, So uh, I saw Fences and I really wanted to talk about it with someone. And so I've got Grant Goshik here, who is uh, an academic and knows uh, a lot more about August Wilson and his plays, uh, which Fences has been adapted from, than I do. And so I'm going to be talking to him about the play, uh, the writer, give us a bit more background and context on that. Uh, And so uh, Grant is an assistant lecturer in the Centre for American Studies and the School of English at the University of Kent. Uh, his dissertation investigates the legacies of temperance propaganda in mid-20th century American theatre, which is perfect for us, uh, and he is very familiar with Fences and all of August Wilson's Pittsburgh cycle of plays which Fences falls into. Uh, so, hello Grant, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jake. Yeah, that's all right. Um, so, uh, we'll get stuck in, because I, I really don't know a lot about August Wilson, about the Pittsburgh cycle, uh, how Fences falls into it. So I wonder if you could just fill us in on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in a lot of ways, August Wilson is um, one of the less noted um, American playwrights of the 20th century. Um, born in 1945, his plays sort of fall into a period in which um, major American theater is in decline. Uh, He's writing mostly in the mid-1980s and has only really come to critical attention in the past uh, decade. Um, You mentioned the Pittsburgh cycle, um, and this is his most uh, notable piece of work. It's a series of 10 plays that um, document the black experience in America throughout the 20th century, with each play capturing a specific decade. and you rightly noted that Fences falls into uh, this body of work and particularly documents the 1950s, between the early 1950s and the 1960s. So Fences first was written in the 80s? Yeah, yeah. 1987. Okay. Um, and so there's been a number of productions of it and mm. there's been 
quite high profile productions of it as well so we in the west end that we had lenny henry um mm. uh in the key role of troy uh which i just so can't imagine but from what i've read it was a phenomenal performance um and on broadway it was Denzel Washington and Viola Davis and this whole core cast that we see in this film as well. Yeah, completely. Over the past two years, um, this production, this specific cast has had uh, rave reviews uh, across Broadway. And um, it, I think going into the film, mm. uh, what I had read about it was this is, this is really great, but the uh, conceit being it feels like a filmed play. Yes. Uh, and where would you stand on that? Yeah, I um, I agree uh, that it does feel like a filmed play. And part of that, I think, has to do with um, the way that we interpret plays uh, more generally, right? They're um, live drama. Mm. And ov- oftentimes, translating that to film is a somewhat uh, uh, arduous process. You know, how do you make it f- seem more natural be- rather than a scripted live uh, performance? And there have been some... Um, more notable instances of this being more successful, you think of plays like Glen Gary, Glen Ross yeah. uh, by David Mamet, which was a very popular uh, film adaptation, perhaps a more popular film adaptation. I think pe- people who perhaps aren't as inter- interested in David Mamet might not even know that, mm. that is a, uh, that's a play because it feels so cinematic yeah. as where, um, you know, this the sort of famous uh, um, uh, John Malkovich uh, uh, Hoffman rendition of Death of a Salesman feels very much more like a play. Yeah, I think also um, was it Tracy Letts' August Osage County. Great that's, example. Yeah, that's very much a, a filmed play. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to Fences, people said that as, like, that's a bad thing. And mm. I, don't, I really didn't find that with this film. Um, because the setting is the setting, and you can't put the cameras anywhere else. You can't make the back of someone's house feel like some huge blockbuster that you uh, you need an IMAX screen for. And I think it benefits from that intimacy that you get from that close setting. Oh, completely. And I think in some ways the the American tradition of the domestic drama, this idea of like the play that happens strictly in a house, lends itself to being made into cinema. I think that's part of the reason why we see so many famous uh, uh, renditions of that. Um, adding to that list, you know, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with, uh, with Elizabeth Taylor is a great example of that, um, too. And I think you're right. I don't think it detracts from the quality of the, the film itself. But it does, I think when you go in, you're, you're aware at, from the outset that this is, a, this is a play. And in some ways, I think it, um, it lends itself to paying attention to the dialogue a mm. bit more. You're not distracted about what's going to be happening yeah. with the setting itself. You're not looking for, you know... I mean, this is reductive, but you're not looking for an explosion or a chase or something like that. You're focused solely on the dialogue and what people are saying. And you find that action through the dialogue, which is something we found with Spotlight last year. Yes. um, Which is very televisual in its language uh, or cinematic language. uh, And you find the drama and you find the action and you find the story through the dialogue and the Mm. actors rather than the explosions and the car chases. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's actually, well, we haven't really given a huge amount of story of, about what Fences is about. Mm. So do you mind uh, just giving us an introduction to these characters uh, that we find in the back of this person's house? Yeah, absolutely. So the protagonist of the play, the main protagonist of the play, is a uh, is a uh, a person named Troy uh, who finds himself uh, trying to rise up the ranks of uh, the 
um, the refuse uh, uh, workers system in Pittsburgh. This is the and becomes uh, 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 sort of entangled in the bureaucracy of that system. Um, and part of his professional struggles lend uh, to personal struggles um, that happen at home. And um, you're slowly introduced to his family, which consists of um, Viola Davis, his wife, his son, and a brother who has been severely handicapped uh, in the Second World War. Um, and yeah, you're just introduced to their struggles as a black family in the m- mid-1950s who are experiencing, in some instances, the very beginnings of the civil rights movement, the very beginnings of workers' reform in the United States, and yet are still inhibited by the um, the legacies of Jim Crow laws, the legacies of racial oppression in the United States, amidst some growing opportunities. And there is this sort of conflict between um, the opportunities that, present him, that are presented to his son and the opportunities that he's receiving uh, as a worker. And the tension yeah. is sort of uh, derived from that, that dynamic, that struggle. Yeah. Troy, uh, the center of this, really feels like a man uh, split between two worlds uh, mm. in re- regards to the uh, black American experience. Mm. Um, and it is th- runs throughout the film uh, this theme of the the sins of the father falling to the child. Yes. Um, and when you and Troy's father was would have had such a, a struggle to be dealing with um, at his time, and then that descends to Troy, and then Troy struggles with his son about seeing that there is opportunity, mm. which is something that he and his father would never have seen. Completely. Yeah, I was really amazed uh, upon watching the film, being reminded that the time period that you're dealing with within the play is Troy, who came became came into manhood in the late 1910s, 1918, I think he, he describes it. And the play takes us all the way to 1960, so you're covering a huge spance of history, American history, and you're reminded of the massive struggles, both social and personal, that happened throughout that period. And you're right to to, um, suggest that it becomes a sort of paternal uh, uh, struggle in the play itself, caught between the opportunities uh, of Troy's son, Corey, and his own sort of conditioned um, understanding of what black opportunity in the United States would have been. You mentioned, you touched on briefly the civil rights movement there, and in this film we see Wilson kind of writing in a very light origin of that, and we Mm. can see flavours of it coming through, but it's it's not quite hitting yet. And does does he address that uh, in other works more directly in in the cycle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joe Turner's Come and Gone is a play about the Prohibition period, and you're getting the sort of early... Um, you're getting glimpses into early integration of workers, um, black workers being uh, uh, integrated into the workforce. Um, in Ma Rainey's Come and Gone, 1920s, you're seeing the f- beginnings of um, black entertainers becoming uh, at the forefront of the um, yeah of the American entertainment system. And yeah, in his later plays, of course, between the 1960s and on onward the civil rights movement is at the front of his right. plays mm-hmm. okay um and how do you think audiences at the time that this play was actually released rather than when it's setting would it so that's 1987 87 yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's the way that people are reacting to it then and then also now 30 years later yeah i think that this is a really interesting conversation to be having um when you think about the context of the 1980s in which this play is being produced um 
this is the first glimpses of the uh, the supposed post-racial society. This is after the civil rights movement. People are having conversations about is affirmative action even uh, necessary anymore? And you're seeing the glimpses of a society which um, is believes that it has a certain set of opportunities for black Americans and then also being um, oppressed by certain infrastructural uh, systems as well. You think of Reaganism, you think of the, the sort of crack wars of the United States, the early drug wars, you think of mass incarceration. These are all things that are happening in America in the late 1980s. And it's hard for me not to see um, parallels between what's happening in fences, these sort of two periods of American civil the American civil rights movement mm. caught between those two periods and also a similar tension in the 1980s itself. And if we import that same narrative perhaps to the contemporary period, I think we're seeing a huge moment of racial conflict in the United States right now as well with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, with dealing with police violence and mass incarceration and drug reform in the United States. I think we're seeing a similar moment of a conflict between perceived opportunity and also the infrastructural uh, uh, oppression that's conflicting with that. Yeah, it's amazing how many different time periods we can read this film in context of, going mm. back all the way to the uh, end of the 19th century up until now. Completely. And we're still deconstructing it, and we're still finding new information from it. It's amazing. I think so, too. Um, and so I, I spoke to you after the, f uh, after the film about the fact that uh, Wilson almost he tricks you at the start of the film. Uh, Troy, who... Uh, p loves baseball is convinced that uh, he could have gone pro at baseball if it wasn't for being oppressed mm. uh, and it's nothing to do with his age or talent it's only because of racism and I think Wilson is trying kind of draws you into that that this is what this uh, play or this film is about before actually reshaping you and making you think of it no this is a human drama for, like that's what we should be viewing that as mm. so then we can view it in the context of racism rather than first of all viewing it as a racist drama yeah absolutely in, in preparation for this, uh, for this interview I was reading an interview that Wilson did in the Paris Review in the early 1990s and he was discussing this, this, um, this perception of Troy uh, that you're describing that were introduced to him as a, as a garbage man, a person that everyone in, uh, in Pittsburgh would have seen. Uh, and we're slowly introduced, while we see his struggles, his race-based struggles, we're slowly introduced to the fact that the struggles that really tear at Troy, his, the struggles in his personal life, the struggles be with, between him and his son are the struggles that every American goes through. And it's part of this deconstructing and reconstructing the ideas of racial race-based oppression and the sort of struggles of black Americans in the United States and the struggles of people, the struggles of Americans more generally. And uh, yeah, I think that that's one of the, um, one of the uh, lasting uh, values of the play itself, yeah. Rather than making it a play strictly about the 1950s and about the mm. 1960s, the reason why I think it start, continues to have an influence on us throughout, like you're saying, throughout all these different periods of American history and all these different periods of uh, of cultural history is because of this sort of more general effect. Yeah, and there's uh, a curiosity in this instance, as the actual the playwright has written the screenplay. Yes, which is not something that we'd see very often. Uh, I believe it happened with it happened with David Mamet for Glengarry Glen Ross. Exactly, and uh, it happened with Frost Nixon as well. Mm. But it doesn't happen that often, um, and I think it's a real curiosity because I don't know how 
you would translate that. I wonder how much camera direction would have actually gone into that as to where we see things. Um, and you, you mentioned that you reread the play recently. Mm. Uh, was there anything that you found reading the play and then seeing it on film? You wonder what Wilson was maybe re-editing or changing? Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, one thing that you and I were both struck by when we um, were viewing the play was the amount of character development that happens in B-roll and in montage in mm. the film. And um, that's something that obviously doesn't happen on a stage. There's no time for B-roll. You know, you might have set change sort of um, montage scenes, but that's really not something that's emphasized in the stage theater. And so I wonder, um, thinking about it now, if if Wilson had any influence on that, on mm. the music that's chosen throughout the, the play, um, the sort of different cut scenes. Um, for instance, and I don't think I'm giving too much away here, there's an emphasis put throughout the film on a, on a broken window. All these sort of cut scenes to a broken window at next door that are not directed in the play. Right. And that seems, it becomes a sort of major motif throughout the film. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you wonder, is that Denzel Washington sort of making an artistic decision? Or is that Wilson sort of writing in this sort of new visual element into the play yeah. itself? Um, I think that it's safe to say that Wilson's influence uh, writing the screenplay's influence on the film is a strong one and one that I think really adds to the to the to the film itself. I, I, I feel fully comfortable saying that um, that this film fits into the sort of greater pantheon of, you know, cinematic adaptations of theater more mm. generally. And I think it's exactly what you're describing, his influence as a screenplay writer. Because mm. I we're not um we're not really taken over by the direction of the it's it's very quiet direction yes uh, there's not a lot of there are moments of flair um where you can see like oh this definitely wouldn't have been in the play you can see and he's mm. added like the fact that we see them riding on the garbage truck which you, you would never be able to see and mm -hmm. that's really lovely because you end up with this establishing shot of pittsburgh but it's only a few times like that that uh, denzel washington as director really takes himself away from wilson otherwise he, he almost feels just like a vessel to translate it yes yeah, I totally agree. I think it'll uh, we'll have to wait and see what um, yeah what Denzel Washington will do as a director next to really judge his um, his, his mm. accomplishments as a director here. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Him, you know, 
maybe tackle another play. You know, it seems that like he's well suited for this. Yeah, yeah I would. Uh, I would like to see more of the. Like, I, as I said, I, I'm ignorant to the entire Pittsburgh cycle. <laughs> uh, so uh, if we can start just getting Denzel Washington to just plow his way through there, I'd be quite happy with that. Yeah, completely. I mean, there's um, there's a bit of a tradition of theater companies sort of taking on one and then sort of either pushing through the whole cycle or you know making selections throughout that. So. Who knows? Maybe we'll see him on Broadway again, doing uh, doing Joe Turner, doing Ma Rainey, something like that, and uh, Seven Guitars, and uh, yeah, and then pushing it back to the silver screen, maybe. Yeah, uh, I'd definitely love to see that. Um, so let's let's talk about how how this isn't the play. Mm. Um, as someone that knows the play, immediately jumped out of you and t- said to you, "This is not the same text." Mm. There, I mean, there is one portion in particular. Um, towards the end of the play, and I mean this is typical of um, of cinematic adaptations of theater. You know, you cut narrative exposition for marginal characters in an effort to draw the viewing attention towards the development of, say, a protagonist or uh, of a more central character. And that does happen in one instance um, uh, in this play, where you see um, one of Troy's children's um, his developments uh, uh, sort of in the epilogue, as it were, um, yeah, sort of sidelined in order to emphasize, you know, a different character's developments. And while I wasn't too, um, I wasn't too upset about that being cut, um, you know, like you said, I think there, there could have been some interesting development there. Yeah, this was um, one of the few things that I, I criticized about the film, is that I just felt like this was a really interesting character mm. that was just... He wasn't done justice, hundred um, percent. I I really enjoyed the time that he had on screen and the act who plays. Um, uh, this is oh, Lions. 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 Amazing name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a character called Lions, who is uh, Troy's son, who plays. Uh, he's a struggling musician. Yes. Trying. Who's working at a jazz club, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, playing guitar. Yes. Uh, and every payday for Troy, he goes to Troy <laughs> and asks him for money, um, and there's little hints of him asking Troy to come and see him at the club and that's where we get that dilemma that Troy has of not really being able to adjust to the idea of uh, a, a black man being in the entertainment industry yeah, and, absolutely. Being, uh, and he's not even offering his own uh, support to mm-hmm. give him success yeah completely and tr- and then Lyons kind of falls a bit to the wayside yes. uh, in the wake of uh Corey, uh, another of Troy's sons, uh, who kind of then takes precedent in the latter half of the play. Mm. And that was, or in the film at least, I'm not sure about the play, I can't say about the play. I would agree that Lyons is definitely sidelined in order to draw the attention towards Corey and his developments um, and in some sense sort of uh, instill some sense of optimism to the to the um, to the play or to the film, uh, in the play, I think that that the effect is perhaps more muted because we are given more of uh, more information about um, about lions and about what his fall entails, um, and about um, I guess the struggles that persist in yeah. in in the black community throughout um, the 1950s and into the the 1960s. Um, so yeah, that was the perhaps the the um, the one major um, 
sort of narrative element that I noted that was different between the play and the film. Um, but more generally about the sort of differences that we make between plays and films, I think it's oftentimes we judge plays based on how well they read as cinema or vice versa. Right. Yeah. Cinema on how well a play is written. And I think we need to at least acknowledge um, differences in the way that we view them generally. You know, the kind of effects, you know, that we get in cinema where we can zoom in on Denzel Washington's face and he can be emotive in a way that he can't be on stage. Or we get these amazing B-roll footage or we get these great music interludes that just simply don't happen mm. on stage. And we mentioned this this idea of adaptation, that Wilson is... Um, He's very much involved in the process of this adaptation, but I think we should still sort of be reluctant to accept them as one thing. Yeah, and obviously he's not around to to call it. Yeah, exactly. No, he died in two thousand five. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you wonder how much the if that if the screenplay was already finished by then, a screenplay can change a lot in twelve years. Oh, completely. Uh, that this could have been bouncing around through a lot of different hands, and um, I suppose we'll, we'll never really see what his original screenplay looked like because mm-hmm. I imagine. Uh, there's a lot of differences we'll find there. Um, but it would be fantastic to read. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but So that's that's talking about the, the film that's not the play. Let's talk about the film as the film. Uh, so let's talk about Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. And let, yeah, let's view this objectively uh, without the context of Wilson for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this is, this is a stunning film. I agree. Um... I was very impressed by Denzel Washington's direction. I was very impressed by his acting. Viola Davis was incredible. Um, I think I thought everyone gave um, stellar performances. Yeah, and um, I think when we when we see these films around the awards season, that everyone's talking about, uh, and there's been you've read lots of reviews and you've read the awards nominations, and you kind of get um, you almost get a bit too hyped up because mm. this is. Viola Davis, Best Supporting Actress, and she's, she's got the Golden Globes, and all the odds are on her for the Oscars. I think I don't know if it's really going to live up to it. And when people think of Best Supporting Actress, they think of it as oh yeah, they just have uh, like Anne Hathaway and Les Mis. They've just mm-hmm. got one scene, and they do that scene, and that's the scene that gets it for them, and they've won. Um, and Viola Davis, she does have a huge scene and a monologue that is phenomenal, and her delivery in it is filled with so much rage just spilling out of her and it's phenomenal to watch but she yes. holds the film together the whole way through and you could really with like complete confidence say that she is not a supporting character yeah absolutely you and I were having this discussion before we even went in to see the film that sometimes making the distinctions between supporting and lead as far as actors are concerned is sometimes arbitrary um, and yeah I think this is an instance in which there is a case to be made that she is a leading actor uh, in in this uh, in this film, and you're right. Her monologue, her one major monologue, is um, is incredible. It's a tearjerker. It's filled with rage. It's filled with uh, with sadness. There's all sorts of various narrative tensions. Um, yeah, it's incredible. But you're right to note that she holds together the rest of the film more generally. It's hard to imagine Troy as a character even without. Uh, without Viol Davis's character as well, mm. and their relationship is really interesting. Mm. Um, and Troy's whole family dynamic is um, is really interesting. But because we don't get told it straight away, and this is probably the thing that I love most about the film is that it gives us context and backstory uh, and exposition 
just in tiny little drops throughout the film and so that we fill out the characters as we go along as mm. we, uh, rather than having some Mr. Exposition uh, like Mr. Bono mm -hmm. uh, at the start of the film could have quite easily been the friend that fills you in with uh, Troy's backstory completely um, but we don't get that and we have this mystery about him and we think we know him and we think we know his troubles and his conflicts and then something gets revealed and it completely shifts us again about how we feel about Troy and Rose mm -hmm. uh, and this whole the whole story as it bobs along um, and that happens about three or four times in the whole film it's, it's amazing yeah absolutely I think this is where you relying on the work of a great writer makes for great cinema mm. you know like you're I think you're supremely aware that the way that the story is written is just expertly done there is no moments of uh, you know major plot development through exposition it all happens very naturally in the action of the play um, and yeah I think um, you know oftentimes when you're watching uh, uh, films or you're, or you're watching plays you're aware that characters are underdeveloped or overdeveloped and I don't think there's any character in this film that I would consider is um, underdeveloped narratively or given less screen time yeah. even everyone is very much um, their own uh, their own entity within yeah. within the film and they just they're so rich every character that you feel their lives spilling out of the yes. film as well and that everyone you could follow outside of a scene and they would have their own play quite easily um, and we took uh, like months and months ago on, on the main podcast we talked about uh, the film Arrival and how there's a twist in that film that doesn't really feel like a twist because actually we're given all the information in the story beforehand mm. and I think that uh, that can be said about Fences as well when there is like a, a heart dropping moment and you and um, the story shifts and when you actually think about it you think oh no I should I, I shouldn't nef necessarily seen that coming <laughs> But he did give us all the puzzle pieces. Oh, completely. Yeah, there are illusions that happen, you know, 10, 15 minutes earlier in the in the film, which prep you for these sort of turns that happen, which is why I think in some, in some sense, why we don't feel like there's any sort of big narrative drop. Mm. You know, everything seems to sort of be a slow moving train towards uh, towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the film. Uh, yeah. And I think the 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 film emphasizes that really well. As we mentioned earlier, I think it's really common that you see film adaptations of plays just sideline characters for to emphasize you know I think it would have been really easy to make this film a Denzel Washington movie yeah but it's not you know it's very much not a Denzel Washington uh, you know just him on the front poster sort of movie it's very much a play about or a film about a lot of different people yeah um, and one of the things that at uh, the very start of the film that worried me was uh, how how quickly people are talking, how quickly uh, new people are introduced, and the dialogue is bouncing around because you're thrown in not into a, you're thrown into halfway through a conversation, and it it tells you to catch up. Um, and I was worried, like looking at the, the runtime of the film, it's two hours twenty minutes. If this dialogue is going back and forth between people, I'm gonna, it, like, I'm gonna have some fatigue at some point. <laughs> um, but, but it's not like it's an Aaron Sorkin script where the the words come like bullets between mm. people. Um, you actually they they have their own rhythm, and the, uh, you kind of you can just let it wash over you really because it's more like conversation uh, that you that you're just sitting in on rather than 
some uh, there are points of argument but it's in those moments in between the argument that you build those characters and you're actually just quite happy to be there as a member of the public in their back garden oh completely yeah and this is where i think great acting takes over too you know i think um denzel washington's sort of physical acting is amazing you know there there are points where um yeah i think his interactions with rose just seem so natural and their physical comedy and their physical sort of romance is just so uh uh, so amazing and yeah you're right I think it's those elements um, that give us a break I guess from all the dialogue that could have happened in mm. a film like this instead we're, we we sort of live with these people you know we're, we're very much in their lives um, I think that's one of the yeah one of the uh, major graces of the film itself um, and something uh, to uh, to bring up again going back to uh, the original play and, mm. and this translation is the, the structure of it so um, reading up on it afterwards everything is broken into you can see oh act one scene one act one scene two act, and broken into the events that occur in these moments yes. and this is the the film reads in that same way because you see uh, them get home Mr. Bono and Troy mm -hmm. and they've got a bottle of gin and they sit in the back garden and that's uh, and then the day after that as well the Saturday mm -hmm. and that happens at the start of the film probably that's about 20-25 minutes and then you see them get off again and you see the bottle of gin and I thought oh so this is I can see how this would have been on stage as well completely and I thought that's going to be the direction that it takes the whole time that it's just the let's say four or five different Friday and Saturdays and that's where we get the narrative from um, but that that shifts as well doesn't it um, uh, in act two yeah com completely there's um there's a long period of time uh, between um, between act one and act two and um yeah, actually, one of the one of the elements of the film that I thought was so great in demarcating time is, um, you know, there are certain elements um, of costume and of setting that emphasize how much time has passed in different points of the play. For instance, uh, you know, we look at a Letterman jacket on Troy's son Corey, and we see the year. You yeah, know, we're 56, given we're yeah. given fifty six. We know exactly when this is happening. Later on, at the end of the play, we see portraits of Martin Luther King and JFK. So we're aware, again, exactly how much time has mm. passed. Um, again, uh, we also see changes in certain elements of the set throughout the transitions between Act 1 yeah. and Act 2. I think all of which expertly emphasize time and how much time elapses throughout the, yeah. the, the narrative. And it could have been done really heavily handed. Um, the actual fence, the the, the titular that, fence, yeah. um, which is being built throughout the throughout the film. Um, but it's the the building of the fence is is what's focused on, or, or I should say, the not building of it. Yeah, thank um, That that's given the the screen time, and you'd think in uh, yeah in less subtle hands, the the fence being built at the end of the film would have had some big shot like crane away and the music comes in it's like oh it's been built but actually we only see, when we see the the fence built it's actually quite moldy and a bit dirty and it's because it's been there for a while but yeah. it's, it's not given uh some huge prestige moment yeah no exactly there could have been a, a much more melodramatic reveal yeah. of the fence and yeah in a lot of ways uh it is a it's a play or it's a film about fences about swinging for the fences about you know about goals and about you know achieving them or not achieving them uh and yet the you're right the titular fence the sort of main symbol of the film is 
actually sort of sidelined for the development of the characters and what hap- what this actually means to the characters themselves. You're right. I think it's very subtly done, very sort of artfully done. Um, and was there, was there anything else that you uh, you wanted to make sure gets discussed about this film or, or Wilson or the, the origin of it before we go? Um, yeah, other than to say that the, that the play is great. Go see it if it's around. Go check it out from your local library and read it. Um, is it... Is it- because I find a, a lot of plays or f- screenplays, when you read it, you don't actually get that much from it. But this, like, you can read this, and it's just gonna—it's uh, still gonna be great to read. I mean, I'm a bit biased because I'm somebody who reads plays all the time, yeah. but I, uh, I love it. I think it's—you know—it's a writerly script. Okay. Yeah, you'll you'll hopefully enjoy it. Excellent. Uh, well, Fences is out in cinemas now, and please do go and check it out. Uh, if I'm sure if you're listening to this, <laughs> you probably already have. Um, <laughs> but if you already have, then go and tell your friends to watch it anyway, because it is superb. Uh, Grant Goshik, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jake. Thanks. And we will uh, be back next Friday for Moonlight. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.